Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. The final countdown. Will things ever be the same again? It's the final countdown. The final countdown. Nothing personal, phrase, song. It takes a village. Where are Lebetard's music producers? Mikey, Ryan, I need you. Somebody make me sound better because today it's the final countdown. This time, MLB means it. Last week, there was a deadline. Deadline! If you don't do something by this time, then there will be a consequence. We don't have a deal by last week. Listen here, players. If there's no deal by last Monday, the 28th, games will be missed. Ooh, we made good progress. Here's what we meant to say. If there is no deal by March 1st, games will be missed. Oh, there's no deal March 1st? Press conference. Ha, ha, ha. No games. We've missed two series. Rob Manford is, as Marcus Stroman said, man clown. Boy, that's a way to get a deal done. Disgraceful. So negotiations continue back in New York. We've got players, we've got union reps, union lawyers, owners, owners reps, pictures. I love all the pictures. They're like perp walks. Every time you see Dan Hallam and Morgan Sword and Pat Houlihan and other people with baseball walking into the Major League Players Association building, they've got like paparazzi following them and they're looking at their phone or they're looking tired and haggard and they're doing their best. Dressed casually, of course. Back in the day, back in my day, if you were going to do collective bargain negotiations, you put on a suit and tie. But now you put on a little Kizix, you put on some AGs, you bring a little man purse, and you go negotiate. They walk in, they sit down with the players and say, listen, I know what we said last week, but now, now we mean it. If we have no deal by today, Tuesday, March 8th, 2022, another week of games will be taken down. Well, we knew that. That's not a big announcement. That's not going to get us going. That's not going to make a deal happen. Wait, we're not telling you everything. It's the final countdown. Because if we don't have a deal by today, not only will the second set of games be missed, but also we will not be able to play 162 games and you will not get a full year of service time or complete pay. How's that for a little deadline spurring action? The players go back and they say to each other, I'm not sure I believe them. 
Should I? Hmm. Last week they said there was a deadline. There's nothing we can do. We're missing games, and we're not making those games up. That's what was told to the players. If you're going to say something in collective bargaining, you sure as hell better mean it. If you're going to say it publicly and not mean it, I'm good. But if you're going to say it to the people at the negotiating table and then not mean it, I'm not good. Now at the table, through the media, so maybe it's not the table. That's what it is, Coca. It's just through the media that it's the final countdown. Because surely the players would be saying to themselves, well, are we sure that the deadline is now again today? I mean, is this it? March 8th? What happens if we've got good momentum? Are they going to pull games down? Tell us we can never play 162? Take away our pay, but we're so close to the finish line? I think they're going to say, you know what? We're so close. The final countdown is tomorrow. Do you see where I'm heading, folks? You can't be the boy who cried wolf when it comes to deadlines and collective bargaining because then the other side will never be in agreement of when the actual deadline is and any giving the other side was willing to do in order to get a deal before a deadline, they're not willing to do because they don't actually believe there's going to be a deadline. I should have delivered that in a much more formal way like they would in law school. Res ipsa loquitur. Can you edit that in just like that? Just like that. With a little sound effect like res ipsa loquitur. Is there a deadline? No. Yes. Maybe so. I don't believe you. What is going on in New York? Do you think the players hear about the deadline of being today, maybe tomorrow after, it could have been last week, but wasn't then the day after, hey, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Do you think the players say to themselves, I don't care when we get a deal done, I'm pretty sure that we're gonna get full pay anyway because we're demanding full pay. And if they wanna cut the number of games from 162, which they already said they've cut, that becomes something that has to be negotiated. You see, the league can't unilaterally just wake up and say, hello, Hello, my name is Elder Campbell, and I would like to say that we will have a 100-game season. Doesn't work that way. You have to negotiate the number of games, the pay. Don't you remember during the lockout that entire pro rata, how many games are going to be here? Can it be 60? Will it be 80? How about 100? Will you pay us for this, for that, for games not played? A higher amount per game if we're going to be playing fewer games so we can make more money? And the commissioner had been given the power to implement a 60-game season when they couldn't come to an agreement. And now they're in a grievance about whether or not the league did everything it could to play more than 60 games. And we've got a grievance outstanding, which, by the way, is also part of this collective bargaining negotiation, as we discussed yesterday. So the owners are trying to find a way to get urgency. However, the greatest way to get urgency is to have a deadline and mean it. And when you have a deadline and you don't mean it, not only do you not create urgency, but you're not going to make gains at the negotiating table, which by definition will slow down the path to a deal because the other side says, hmm, I sense a bit of a weakness. It seems the owners may want to play more games than we thought they'd want to pay, play, and pay. <laughs> you can forget the L in both those sentences are right. Maybe the owners don't want to pay as much as they want to pay, but they want to play as much as they can play. 
but we want to play as little as we can play while getting paid as much as we can get paid. You just change that Y to an ID, AID, and we've got ourselves an argument. So they sit at the table and they say, we moved on CBT. What? You did? You're not at 220 anymore? Are you at 238 where we are? Now we're at 228. Oh, that should be enough in the public court of public opinion. MLB changed, finally, the first year of this competitive balance tax, this huge issue that impacts six or seven teams and maybe a few players. Of course, the union's still forgetting about the majority of their players who will never see that extra money. Then the union says, hmm, I wonder what they're offering in addition to moving to 228. And then we hear the magic word, and you see Natalie Portman. Hi, Natalie. No strings attached. Hi, Ashton. How you doing? I know you came out at the same time of Friends with Benefits, but we're not talking about Friends with Benefits. We're talking about the number of strings that are attached to an offer by the owners to increase the level of CBT where they can say to the public, look, we compromised. Then the leak comes out, but there are strings attached. What are those strings? We're going to find out. I'll tell you what the strings are. The strings are those created by the owners when they're told by the commissioner that they want to put forward an offer that changes the minimum CBT in the first year from 220 to 228. The first thing the commissioner has to do is call the four teams who voted no on even the vote to 220. Remember, you had the Angels, you had the Diamondbacks, you had the Reds. You had the Tigers. Those four teams voted no, but that proposal still gets given because a 26 to four vote is enough to ratify a deal, which means it's enough to offer to the players. Now you go back, back to the four owners and say, hey, we're now up to 228. Any thoughts? Well, I was a no, I'm still a no. Well, are you sure you're a no? Look at it, what else we're getting. In addition to moving it up, which you don't like, look at the strings we have. These strings would stop even the greatest flow of money from owners to players. We are penalizing the teams at the top. We are going to increase the penalties that we had first offered. We are going to make sure we have an international draft. We are going to cap the minimum salaries, and we are going to get less than we thought we'd have to give in that pre-arbitration pool. So we've done an analysis of your team, Artie Moreno, and of your team, Christopher Illich, and of your team, Robert Castellini. And we can tell you that here's the revenue sharing model. Here's what you get. We're going to model it for you. That's what they do in baseball. It's pretty cool. They go to every team. They've got every team's payroll. They know. That's the argument why everyone knew when Derek Jeter and Bruce Sherman bought the Marlins that the commissioner knew that John Carlos Stanton was being traded, even though he may have said he didn't know, but he did know. He may have not remembered that he knew. He may not have been focused on who it was, but there are people way under him, not way under him, two levels below, who have everybody's payroll, know the financials that have been submitted by the owners, so know exactly what the team payroll is going to be, and then they do themselves playing GM for 30 teams. They figure out exactly which moves are going to be made in order to get to the payroll that they know they have to get to to hit their budget. So 
the commissioner's office. They go through that. They also know how much money the teams that get revenue sharing are going to get under the new rules. They know how much players are going to make under the new rules of pre-arbitration, increased minimums, the new pool for pre-arbitration players for those who are projected to be at the top of their class in terms of war and performance. So they've got a book, spreadsheet. I say book, you say spreadsheet, where they go to the owners and say, all right, here's where your team is. Here's your situation. What is your vote? So they go through all 30 teams and they say, we've got it. We've got 23 yeses. We've got seven noes. We are going to make a proposal to the players today. And this proposal is such that it is the most we can go And this is the fastest we can go to get to a deal today. Why is today a real deadline? The players ask. And the owners respond, because if we want to start on April 15th, on Jackie Robinson Day, if we want to get in 162 games, because that's the only way you're going to get paid for 162 games, then we cannot miss any more games. Well, wait a minute. You only cancel games the first week of the season. That gets us to April 7th. If we have a new deal now, of course we're going to be playing games April 15th. And frankly, if we've only missed six games and we do a deal now, is that what you're saying? That we have to do a deal now having only missed one set of games. Now you're with me, folks. The owners say to the players, you got it. If you turn us down today, we're taking down a second week of games. And if we do a deal after that, we won't be able to schedule those games. So those will actually be canceled. But commissioner, you said the first six games were canceled. I know what I said, but listen to what I'm saying today. Well, is what you're saying today, what you're going to be saying tomorrow or four days from now? What if six days from now we're back in the same situation and you say to us, if we don't do a deal by today, which would be then March 15th, then there's no way to start games April 15th. Why don't we start games April 15th and not April 7th? Maybe opening day on Jackie Robinson Day would be amazing. However, I want to start before then, Mr. Player, because then you can get your full 162. But if you say no and we have to cancel another week of games, when we start the season, we're not going to get back to 162. Well, would there be a chance that you'd give us full service time if we don't play 162? Ah, shh. We haven't canvassed the owners on that. Yes, you have. MLB knows very well that they're willing to give full service time because that's how I would negotiate. If you play 140 games starting April 15th, yes, we'll give you the full service time for playing 140 games. We'll shorten the length of the season. And if you play the full season, you get the full year of service time. What about full pay? No, I'm drawing the line there. I'm not giving you 162 games of pay to play 140 games. No chance, toilet pants. Wait a minute. Are you sure, Rob, that you won't do that? Let me talk to the players. Let me talk to the owners because I think that if we cut a deal a week from today and you promise to pay us 162 games worth of money, even though we play 140, and we get full service time, I think I could get the players to do that deal. Rob Manfred says, really? Let me get back to the owners. Hey, guys. I think we have something here. If we don't get a deal done today and we get it done next week, all we have to do is give them service time. Let's just be clear. And we're going to give them full pay. Huh. And we will have missed two weeks of games. Hmm. Where could we ever make that up? 
Do you think at some point anybody on the player's side ever says to the players, you know that owners, for every game they miss or every game they have to pay you that doesn't get played, do you know that they can make that up like in one fell swoop by lowering the amount of money they give to free agents? Do you know that they can just go up on the CBT, but if they pretend they have their own internal CBT level of 220, even though they gave you 228, who have you helped? Wasn't your stated objective to make sure you got as much money as you could to younger players and make sure there was no tanking? What exactly are we accomplishing now? What exactly, excuse me, Scott, I'm just asking, maybe you could ask Max, but I bet Max is gonna ask you. We're just curious here. What are we accomplishing as players in this negotiation? When all we've said is we wanna stop tanking. You think that smart front offices are not going to continue to do what they think is best to win with the lowest possible payroll and holding back players as much as possible? Yes, we've been told there's no more Chris Bryant's, but for every Chris Bryant where there's a service time manipulation grievance, there's about 50 players whose service time gets manipulated and there is no grievance. Are you seeing where I'm headed with this, folks? Where I'm headed is that every time the players think they're making progress, the owners internally have an answer to that progress by the actions they will take after the deal is done that will completely eliminate whatever financial gain that the players perceive they've gotten. Every time I've seen it happen. At some point, the players are gonna learn this, aren't they? The best way for the owners to get the players to learn this is to stop pretending there are deadlines. And the only reason that Rob has to pretend there are deadlines is he has to have full owner support on everything he's proposing. 23 out of 30 is my definition of full. So it is a balancing act. But it's falling on deaf ears where I am in this headset where Coca's been very quiet today. Very, very quiet, Mr. Coca. You okay? Are you nervous about the deadline? Are you nervous about the final countdown? Are you nervous that the owners are now using the strategy that we talked about to get owners out there and talking so it's not just Rob? It's pretty interesting, right? Did you notice how we said that would change? And then all of a sudden yesterday, now live on ESPN New York, it's Randy Levine. Randy Levine's the president of the Yankees. Randy Levine is the longest tenured president in Major League Baseball. I was the second longest tenured president when I finished after 18 years in 2017 behind Randy. And Randy's still there. So Randy has a firm grip on number one. I doubt I'm still number two, but I could be, I guess. Hmm. I wonder if that run would still put me at number two. Doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. So Randy gets on the radio. And here's how it works when owners are speaking to you publicly. They are spoken to, they are given message points, they are assigned different markets, different channels, different interviews, and they are told exactly what to hit on. What to hit on. Randy Levine was pretty clear and pretty good right from the script. He had a few points that he wanted to make sure the people on the union side heard. And this was a big one. If you give money from the pot to younger players, there may be less money for older players. From a union side, they have to measure all these various constituencies and do what's practical. Why do owners want that out there? Because right now it's Scott Boris who is advocating for his top players through his top players and that's it. 
CC Sabathia on a recent podcast talked about the fact that he doesn't understand why we're not hearing from different players other than Max Scherzer and Andrew Miller. Why aren't we hearing from players whose careers are at stake, who aren't going to make free agency, who aren't going to make arbitration? That is music to the ears of the owners because the majority of people in that union will never be Max Scherzer. They won't be able to smell Max Scherzer's jockstrap. The owners know very well that Scott Boris doesn't care about those players, is not advocating for those players, and to the extent that we can get those players to stand up and realize, hey, is anyone looking out for me? That will be a benefit to the owners. He then had to address the fact that four owners voted against the proposal. So he did. He said the owners are pretty united. There's no divide right now. There's disagreements. Everyone on our side needs to understand they have to compromise in order to get some and negotiate. Nobody's ever said anything with the thresholds that there's not going to be any movement. Let's really dig into that if you don't mind. I said on Twitter at David P. Sampson after that quote, I said I would prefer that he had said the owners are completely united. I want that out there in public, but at the negotiating table, I'm making it very clear that the owners are not united at all. I'm using that as a sword, not a shield. Ironically, when you are management, you get to use divisiveness within your ranks as a shield. When you are the union and there is divisiveness in your ranks, that's it. Did I say sword or shield? We may have to play that back. We may have to redo it. Two, six, nine. Did nice. <laughs> Three, four, 69. Ownership divisiveness can be a sword. Player and union divisiveness can only be a shield. What I mean by that is you can't play offense with a union that's divided, but you can play offense with an ownership group that's divided. How? You go to the table and you say, hey, I appreciate what you want here, Scott, but I don't have the votes, so I can't give it to you. I can't even promise I can give it to you because there's no way I can get those votes. Here's the teams who won't do it. Feel free to call them, Scott. I know you're going to. So are you sure you want to keep asking for more when I already am only 26 to 4 and we are basically 4 away of 22 to 8, which is game over? And you realize, of course, that more lost time accrues negatively to the union way more than it does to the owners? All the talk out there in the media about how bad it is for owners and for the game of baseball if we miss games, if they miss a season, a missed season hurts a player way more than it hurts an owner. It's not even close. When you add up the lost salary to players who will never get it back, and you add up the lost revenue to the owners who will absolutely get it back because they control their profitability, they control their costs, where players do not control anything, who do you think has the intestinal fortitude who do you think has the sword and not the shield? So, today, the meetings will happen. Following the meetings, there will be leaks, there will be comments. Here's what you will not hear from Jeff Passan. I think this deal's a shit sandwich. <laughs> now, you're going to think I'm going after Jeff Passan. I'm not. 
I don't need to go after him. He does just fine going after himself. Did you read what went on with him yesterday? It was a burning ring of fire. It was statements. It was apologies. ESPN, of course, said, ah, he didn't get suspended. He said he didn't get disciplined. He knows very well what he did. <laughs> what did he do? He went on a podcast and he said, that deal that was offered by the owners to the players, that was an S squared, baby. That was an SHIT sandwich. And the owners were none too happy to hear that. Then he, he said, you know, I just contacted a few players, a few agents, and said to them, God, you're not going to vote for that, are you? It's an S sandwich. And the owner said, hold on a second. We've got a member of the media calling agents and players and giving his opinion on a collective bargain agreement when he doesn't know, talk about an S sandwich, he doesn't know S about S. ESPN says, uh-oh. Jeff, it's Jimmy. Just a, a quick nugget here. We're going to blow that out of the podcast. You don't have to worry about it. No one's going to hear that again. Oh, but wait a minute. People already heard it, and now they see that it's gone from it, so it got edited out. Hmm. Ah, they may not hear it. Oh, they're going to hear it. It's the top podcast. So, Jeff, could you do me a favor and uh, keep quiet on Twitter for, you know, a day or two? And then, if you don't mind, if you could just submit a quick apology and here's what we're going to say. We're going to say that you were not calling it an SS, that you were quoting a source who called it an SS, and you forgot to quote the source. Is anyone going to buy that? Let me try. Let me try a statement, Jeff said. On a podcast recently, I took the phrasing of a source and mistakenly did not make clear that they were his words and not mine. ESPN and fans rightfully expect me to be objective, and my record shows I'm extremely committed to representing all sides of a story. Horse hockey! In this instance, I fell short of the standard. Not just in this instance, Jeff. I can point out the 10 stories you've done since you left Yahoo in Yahoo and your new career at ESPN. There's not one person at MLB, I told you no one pays attention to you, but I will tell you what they know about you, that you are not objective. It is very clear where you stand and how pro player you are. And that's fine. I am not telling the media, as a president of a team, I never was angry with a media member who was always pro player, just like I wasn't loving a media member who was always pro owner. They can be whatever side they're on. I just wanted the media people to be informed as to what they were talking about, what they were writing about. You're calling a deal an S sandwich when you don't even understand the deal. You go pretend that you are the, the ESPN's chosen man in baseball to explain the inexplicable, to make people feel good about their sport, and to explain collective bargaining. I'd rather you just tell us who's going to who when you get the information from the union and how much money players are making, which gets made public by four people at the same time, and you've got your legion of followers. I'm all in. But when you put your analysis into a document that you don't understand, your network is not going to stand for it because MLB is not going to stand for it, and you're going to get slapped. And slapped he did. Do you think that people, when they're on a show, do you think that it's a mistake when they say something that is plagiarized? Because that's really all he said, right? I said something that was told to me, and I didn't attribute it to anyone. I made it attributable to me. 
And then when I get caught, I say apologies. I had no idea that other person wrote that exact two paragraphs in a term paper that I found online on researchpapers.net slash org colon you won't get caught. I had no idea. I mean, that's a pretty smart guy who came up with those thoughts. I mean, I got to tell you, to look at that offer, ESPN, Jeff said, how could you look at that offer and not say it's an S sandwich? Well, that's not your job, Jeff. Your job is not to evaluate the offer. Your job is to try to create solutions and try to properly reflect what both sides are saying about the offer that they received and or gave. Hmm. How does that end? He's not going to get fired. He's embarrassed. He won't admit that. MLB is furious. They will admit that. ESPN, they pretend they're furious to appease MLB, but they're fine. Creates a nice little moment. A little buzz for baseball. So the deal will come forward today. What I'm looking for is to see how Passon tweets about it. What he says. As for him calling agents and players directly and saying it's a bad deal, I can't imagine why you're going to vote for this. Heaven forbid if he actually did that. Now, he says, I looked at the offer and the next morning I texted a few players and I texted a few agents and I said to all of them, are you really going to take this S sandwich? Was he talking about someone else, I guess? Maybe someone said that to him. And then if you're being interviewed, why wouldn't you say, yeah, I spoke to a source who told me that he looked at the offer, he texted a few players, he texted a few agents, he said to all of them, are you really going to take this as sandwich? But then he said, I, hmm, it's all very interesting to me. So, you know what I think we should do? I think the press should continue to play an objective role. This really happens in politics too, of course. I think you have to know if the press is not being objective, which side they're on. I think the press in baseball does a very good job of trying to either let you know how biased they are or they hide it completely and make you try to find it like guessing a wordle. And now with Jeff, we're not going to have a hard time at all. He's going to play it so down the middle these next couple of weeks, which is not really his thing, but he's going to do it. And the reason he's going to do it He doesn't want to get in trouble. So in the meantime, we're going to find out whether or not it is the final countdown. We're going to see if this deadline is actually a deadline or does it go till tomorrow. There may be some singing. There may be some compromising. But in the meantime, we're still watching movies every day. When we come back, I'm going to review the start of a show directed by Adam McKay. And I'm going to talk about, you can bet on it, what's going on in the NFL and Calvin Ridley will be discussed. Come on back. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Seriously. Let's keep the momentum going. Go to David P. Sampson on Twitter and Instagram. Go to our YouTube channel, which is Nothing Personal with David Sampson. Please hit subscribe. 
And you can see that I'm wearing a corduroy blazer, which is in the rotation today, which is causing me to schwitz, which is why I've got a handkerchief, which is why occasionally I wipe my brow. And if you're watching on YouTube, but you're listening, sometimes you hear a just a little pause. That's when I hit the mute button because I have to cough or sneeze. Hachu, ready? And so you can see that on YouTube because I go to the left and then it goes silent and then I'm back. If you're listening, you just think it was a P-A-U-S-E or maybe an E-D-I-T, but it's not because the best thing about nothing personal, we don't edit. Right, Coca? TV show, HBO Max, winning time. Winning Time is about the Los Angeles Lakers Showtime based on the book by Jeff Perlman. It stars John C. Riley. Yes, John C. Riley. You've heard of him. Talladega Nights. He plays Dr. Jerry Buss, the guy who bought the Lakers from Jack Kent Cook. Who knows the name Jack Kent Cook? Raise your hand. Coca, do you know who Jack Kent Cook was? Do you know what football team Jack Kent Cook owned? Parcheesy? You may not. You could Google it quickly. The Washington Redskins. Yeah, doesn't matter the story. Jerry Buss buys the Lakers. Wants to draft Irvin Magic Johnson. The show starts back in 79. And we are seeing the beginning of Showtime. It's a 10-episode series. It's done to make you think like you're back in the 70s. They dress like the 70s. It's grainy like the 70s. There is fourth wall breaking all the time with Dr. Jerry Buss talking right to you. The girl from Field of Dreams who chokes on the hot dog, who's now a woman who was in that movie, Come On, Come On, is now in this. Her name is Gabby Hoffman. You've got all of the people that you can remember from Lakers Showtime are going to be in this series under the masterful hand of the Oscar-nominated Adam McKay. Episodes are coming out once a week, and it makes me despondent because I don't know about you, but the way things are in my life, I want everything now. I don't want to wait a week for the second episode. But it's not too late. If you haven't seen Winning Time, it just got released, episode one. Get on it. It's a story of the Lakers. They've got actors playing Kareem and Magic and Norm Nixon, and it shows the craziness around the team, and we haven't even started. For crying out loud, we haven't even seen Adrian Brody yet. Yes, Adrian Brody, the guy who kissed Halle Berry, won the Oscar for The Pianist. That guy, guess who he is? Pat Riley. Guess who plays Pat Riley's wife? Yes, my favorite, Gillian from Love, the Judd Apatow series that I want all of you to see. Jerry, when am I going to meet her? <sighs> Winning time, episode one. Adam McKay is at the top of his game. Nothing personal pick of the day. Nailed it. The last time we had a pick, it was the Pelicans plus three and a half against the Jazz easy winner. They won the game in a blowout. We were 25 and 20. Yesterday, we had the Sixers minus six and a half over the Bulls. And for the first time ever, we took a hockey game by my Florida Panthers over the Buffalo Sabres. And the Panthers crushed them. 2-0. Finally a hockey pick. Finally a basketball pick. Coca. What? I cannot hear you. No. I'm not. I'm not going to say that. Are you, are you seriously doing this during the show? We're not stopping. We are 27 and 20, Coca. Okay. You can argue with me later. All right. I, whatever, man. We owe it to the audience. We owe full transparency. Fine. It appears that after further review, yesterday's show did not include any picks of the day. 
It appears that I got so off the track, which Coca let me do because he's been so cold. So we thought, why would he let me bask in my heat of picks that we never actually got to say the pick of the day on the air? I don't know whether that's true. Go back and listen to yesterday's show if you haven't already and confirm that for me because my rundown, I don't have a lot on it, but I've got Sixers minus six and a half over Bulls. Can I, can I show people it? I don't know how to turn the camera around because the camera doesn't move. Ooh, I, if I unplug all this, then you're not going to hear me anymore. Hmm, what should I do? Ooh, I'm going to take a picture of it. I'm going to take a picture of it. Yes, I can do that. This is live, folks. You are looking live. Look at that right there. And picture time. Okay, now I'm going to turn my phone around and I'm going to show this to the camera. Ready? Can you see it? Sixers, six and a half over Bulls. Do you see it? Can you see it? What about hockey? There it is. Wait for it. Oh, it's right there. Panthers over Sabres. Do you see it? Anybody? Nah, whatever, Coke. I'm not arguing with you. I'm too too tired. It's the final countdown day. We're 25 and 20. Grizzlies, five and a half over the Pelicans. That's my pick today. Did we get it out okay? Are we good? Grizzlies, five and a half over Pelicans. Grizzlies get got rocked by the Rockets. Pelicans are playing well. Zion's in shape, making charity appearances. He looked good, didn't he? They're now finally releasing pictures of Zion. They're not putting him on any of the marketing material. They're not ready to do that. They were so, so destroyed for Photoshopping him when they traded for McCollum that they sort of put him in hiding. Now he's out of hiding. Now he is wearing baggy clothes, but he doesn't look like he's anything more than three and a half bucks. No doubt. 18 games left for the Pelicans. Is he going to miss the whole year? Unconscionable. So that's our pick. Grizzlies minus five and a half. We have a special guest coming on the show. And I want to welcome Calvin Ridley to the show. Calvin, welcome to Nothing Personal. Thank you, David. How you doing? I'm doing great, Calvin. We do a pick every day here. And I was just curious, uh, who you like? Who do you like? Well, you know, David, I really pick NFL games because I'm an NFL player. Interesting. Um, so you're saying that you won't bet, you won't give me a basketball pick or a hockey pick? Well, no, I'm a football player. Why would I do that? See, I would sort of think of it the other way, Calvin. I would say, why would you pick an NFL game? And he said, well, I wasn't playing. Well, what do I know? I didn't even watch football. I was hurt. I'm sorry. Say that one more time, just louder into the microphone. David, I appreciate you having me on as a guest, but I want to make it very clear. I only bet $1,500, and I didn't speak to anyone. I wasn't even watching football. Sure, I bet a parlay with the Falcons in it who are my team. I don't even know who the quarterback is on a normal day. Was he having a good year, a bad year? I wasn't. What do I know? And by the way, I'm a millionaire, 1,500 bucks. Do you know how much money Jordan bets or Barkley on the golf course? Calvin, I'm sorry. Are you not aware of the headline news that you made? You know you're suspended for a year by the NFL for gambling on football? Yeah, but I'm hurt. No, no, you're suspended. You have to apply for reinstatement no earlier than February of 2023. For what? You bet on football and you're a football player. That's not a big deal, David. 
do you know how much money our team makes by aligning with sports books? David, do you have any idea the amount of revenue the league makes? All the partnerships with Caesars and MGM and DraftKings, FanDuel. David, do you have any idea the billions of dollars that all these owners make? I just want to make a little. I was just trying to hit a parlay. Um, Calvin, do you know that you're now suspended and not going to get paid the $10 million you were going to make or the $11 million you were going to make? Well, what do you mean, David? I'm sorry. I'm going to have to start over. Ladies and gentlemen, and everyone else listening to Nothing Personal, I would like to inform you that Calvin Ridley, a player for the Atlanta Falcons, has been suspended for one year for gambling on football. In response to his suspension, he tweeted that he only bet $1,500 and therefore does not have a gambling problem. And that very statement is the problem. And then we had people on Twitter, for whatever reason, that is unbeknownst to me, say, look at how inconsistent the NFL is. How could they suspend a player for a year when they embrace gambling and they collect so much money and they count on so many people to gamble? And I'm sitting here with 18 years experience running a team in a league where Pete Rose is persona non grata. Where we had the Black Sox. The NBA where they had referees betting on games they were refing. Forget the cocaine issues, the drug issues, the steroid issues. Those mean nothing to people who operate leagues. The number one, number one is competitive integrity. If you've got players betting on football, you are risking losing the competitive integrity of your game. And with that goes your league and all of the billions of dollars of sponsorship, all of the billions of dollars of franchise worth, the keystone, that means the one brick that holds the whole house together is competitive integrity. Before every season in baseball, we have to read the gambling rule verbatim in Spanish and English to the players while they roll their eyes to the back of their head, they fall asleep, they ignore it. We have to post the rule in the clubhouse in English and Spanish. We don't post, don't take steroids. We post, do not gamble on baseball. It is the single most important rule. For people out there in the Twitterverse, including, might I add, former head coaches, other people with huge, huge followings and opinions, trying to point out the inconsistency of punishing Calvin Ridley, have missed the entire point of the rule. Just because you take money from Ford, does that give you the right to steal their car or to take their car and drive it 250 miles an hour? There are rules. There are laws. Every player knows the third rail of rules is not performance-enhancing drugs. They know it's gambling. Can you imagine for one second Calvin Ridley betting on a game. Because once you bet on a game, it means you bet on games. Either you bet on games that you play in or you don't. 
Either you bet on a sport that you play or you don't. There's no in between. There's no Madonna here. There's no such thing as like a gambling virgin. Oh, for the very first time. I'm gonna bet, ah, just one time and just a pittance. Doesn't work that way. What about a quarterback? I think that'd be good if a quarterback bet, bet, bet a game he was in. What if a quarterback bet against a game he was playing? How about a quarterback who bets on himself for like over yards or something? What if he bets that he won't go over 287 yards and then knows exactly how many yards he has and makes sure he doesn't go over 287 yards? It used to be that gambling players were an issue because they were worried that bookies would get into them. And a bookie would say, hey, you owe me $20,000, Shoeless Joe. You better not get any hits today because we're betting against your team and you better throw a game. I get that that used to be a concern, but the way sports betting is now on your mobile app, you actually have to make the deposit of the money in advance to betting it. Very few knees are getting broken, at least not to collect. Now, are people going to rob other people when they need more money because they're addicted and their gambling accounts at zero? Or are they then going to go the illegal route and try to get credit even though they can't get credit because they don't have money? Are there going to be bank credit checks by illegal bookies to make sure that they're not going to be in a position where they have to break legs? But these football players and Calvin Ridley, it was discovered, actually legally bet on his phone, which means while he only bet $1,500, he had to deposit $1,500 into the account from his bank and then could bet the $1,500. Once he loses it, the, the app is fine. They've made their money. The bank is fine. There was money in the bank that's now out of the bank. He's out $1,500. Everyone's good. But someone could also bet $100,000, right? What the players don't realize is they're being monitored. The minute Calvin Ridley made his bet, an alarm went off. There's a company that is working with the National Football League and with the other leagues. They are monitoring bets to look for any players or any executives or anybody who is making bets because you're going to get caught. No problem. I'll use a different username. Ah, doesn't work. It's your bank account, dummy. Oh, no problem. I'm just going to do it with a friend. Really? You're just going to Venmo money into a friend's account so the friend can add his money to the gambling account. That'll be like one degree of separation. We're going to confuse everybody that even David Strathern and Sneakers will not be able to listen, 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 and track the phone call all the way through seven different countries. You will not outsmart these people. No chance toilet pants. Calvin Ridley may appeal with suspension. It's not going to be lowered. Calvin Ridley may never bet again. He likely will never play again in the NFL. Let me tell you a secret to all the players listening and to all the people, young athletes who are becoming players. Do yourself a favor. The best bet to make is no bet at all. Because with these leagues, you're screwing with something way bigger than a $1,500 parlay. You're screwing with business. This is nothing personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.